Well, we're carrying on today looking at our sermon series about looking what the church is called to be, what we're all about as a community of God's people. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a real sense that the Holy Spirit is causing us to look at prayer at the moment. I think it has come up so many different times, almost unexpectedly at the start of this year. And just that real sense that actually God is causing us to dig deeper and to explore our prayer life with him. Um, So if you've got a Bible, we're actually looking... This was the one sermon at the start of the year that we're intending to look at prayer, even though it seems we're filtered through to everything um, that we've been talking about. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to look at two passages from Luke's Gospel. First of all, from chapter 11, um, verses 1 to 13, and then chapter 22, verses 29 to 43. Two very, very different passages. Luke 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, just pause there for a moment, when you pray. Prayer is not an optional extra of the Christian life. It's not something we do when we feel like it. It's something that we do because it's what Jesus tells us to do. When you pray. And he says, say this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Supposing you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Which of your fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if you ask for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And then turning a bit farther on into Luke's gospel, we go to chapter 22 and verses 29, sorry, 39 through to 46. Jesus praying on the Mount of Olives. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw behind them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Get not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Let's just pray again before we open these passages. Lord, again, we thank you for your word. And just reading that last passage, we thank you that you were obedient to your Father's will that you paid the price that we may have relationship with you, that we are now free to boldly approach 
the eternal throne. So help us as we look at continuing to be a prayerful people, to dig ever deeper into what it means to be people of prayer. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just after Christmas, an envelope arrived on our doormat, and we opened it, and it was a parking ticket for £100. Very generously, they said, you can pay 60 if you pay immediately. How generous. So there was some evidence given on the letter, and it was of two grainy pictures that you could barely make out what it was, let alone whether it was our car or not. And so we thought, was this us? Was this us? We looked at where it was, and apparently we'd parked in Lidl in Latchford for an hour and 45 minutes. Now, I don't know about you, but I would struggle to spend an hour and 45 minutes in Lidl. You know, even perusing the middle aisle and looking at telescopes and toolkits and whatever else it is, it's a bit of a hard push to do an hour and three quarters in Lidl. So we started to think, we need more evidence. We don't think this is us. We think this is wrong. So we said, can you produce more evidence? We appealed to the company. So they said, no. This was you. Here's a picture to prove it was you. It would help if I had the clicker on, wouldn't it? Here we go. Just look at this. Now, that is us at the bottom. That's our Fiesta. Look at the car at the top that's meant to be our Fiesta. It's a rather nice Audi A1. So we were left with two possibilities. The first possibility is this. You go into Little Latchford Car Park, and they upgrade your car for free. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Sadly, no. Or they got it wrong. They got it wrong. I don't know about you, but when I'm getting fined for something I know I haven't done, I get that sense of injustice boiling within me, thinking, why should I pay £60 to a company for something I haven't done? And here's the proof. I haven't done it. And so me and Claire are having this conversation, and we're saying, look, we'll take it to the ombudsman. We'll see what they say. If they still think that that's our car, even though it's white and got a black roof and ours is silver, then so be it. We will go to court. We will fight this all the way. This is injustice. This isn't right. You know, this may have happened to somebody who really couldn't afford it, and this would tip them over the edge. And we start getting riled by this whole situation. Anyway, the good news is it got kicked out by the ombudsman. We don't have to pay the fine. That was good. Give give us a cheer. That's good news, isn't it? Hold that story in your mind as we look forward through this passage. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus has just finished the most profound teaching on prayer. He's given his disciples the Lord's Prayer. It's a slightly shorter version in Luke 11 than it is in Matthew 6. But it's, it's incredibly profound in the way that it encourages us to pray, starting with worship, moving through to praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, praying according to God's will and purposes, not our own. We pray for our daily bread. We cause us to pray against temptation and so on. Now, prayer is God's plan for us. God calls us into relationship. God has never made us to be robots Through the work of Jesus on the cross, we are called friends of God. We are called into relationship. And prayer is where mysteriously, it's a mystery ultimately how prayer exists, but we are called to partner with God in praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. And sometimes when we pray, we talk about this often, God says, you know, give you prayer's legs. 
You are the answer to those prayers that you are praying, and God calls us to fulfill whatever prayer it is. Sometimes when we pray and we give thanks to God for this, God breaks into our experience, and we see the touch of heaven on earth, and we give thanks to God. Sometimes when we pray, if our prayer is not aligned with God's will, we find the answer is no. You know, we don't pray just random things that we want. We find that that will be the answer. Sometimes it's not yet, or sometimes it's wait. So Jesus, he's given this amazing prayer. And then what does he do? Well, he doesn't give us a long, detailed explanation about what to do with it. But instead, he tells what is one of the silliest stories in the New Testament. He gives us a parable that is just like a cartoon. Um, it's sort of overblown in what's going on. I found this, this picture of it, which I think really sums it up quite well. We'll have a look at this in a little bit of detail. You know, when we pray, prayer is never about a winning formula. It's never about just saying the right words in the right order and somehow God will then answer what you want. Prayer is never about just a tick list either. It's not just say the Lord's Prayer and that's prayer done for the day as if it's like cleaning your teeth in the morning. You say, oh, I've done that now, I'll move on. But what Jesus teaches through this amazing story is that prayer is about knocking on the door of heaven, seeking the will of God and keeping going and keeping going and keeping going. Sometimes I think it can be very easy to say just the one-line prayer and think, well, that's my prayer done. That's it. I pray for that situation, over and out, carry on with life. And we can treat it a bit like, you know, the parking ticket. Just pay it, move on, get rid of it, or just dismiss it. Whereas actually, there are situations in life that God calls us to keep knocking, keep praying, keep seeking the face of God. So let's have a look at this parable. If you've got a very good memory, we did look at this about three or four years ago, but I can't remember what I said, so I'm presuming you won't be able to either. So Jesus paints a scene. It's midnight in the story. Remember, this is a story. It didn't happen. It's a story. And now, if somebody rings on my doorbell at midnight, I am not going to be very happy. I don't know how you would feel. I would be sort of thinking, what on earth are you doing ringing the doorbell at midnight? I've probably been asleep for half an hour, an hour possibly, But it's not the middle of the night in our culture. We don't tend to go to bed at 8 and get up at 4. We tend to go to bed a bit later, and we get up a bit later in the morning. And then if the person at the door was a friend or a neighbor saying, could you give me some food? A visitor has come round, and they want feeding, and I've run out. I'd be like thinking, well, why don't you get in the car and go to 24-hour Tesco? Why don't you go to limb services? Isn't McDonald's open at 24 hours? Isn't there somewhere you can go without banging on my door and asking for loaves of bread? Can't you open a tin of beans? You know, whatever it is, I'd be thinking those kind of things. Get rid of all that. That's our world. We've got to get back to the first century to realize the humor that is in this passage. People went to bed at dusk. Oil for lamps. Yes, people did have oil lamps. They did light the houses, but it was expensive. If you were relatively poor, you wouldn't want to be lighting a lamp for four or five hours. So as it went dark, you went to bed. Even in the summer in Jerusalem, it goes, to, it goes um, dark at 7.47 in the evening. They don't get that longer twilight that we get. So people would be going to bed from around 8 o'clock-ish, and that would just be the way that life was. Now, also, there is another thing here. Going to bed was complicated, very complicated. It wasn't something you took lightly. I don't know what your life is like, but I sleep in a bed, and it's not surprising really, on a mattress with nice warm covers and a pillow. And going to bed is no great hassle. We just climb in bed, you know, you do all the bedtime routine, and you go to sleep. 
Not so in the first century. This is the kind of scenario. Imagine a one-roomed house, and um, in that one-roomed house is everybody. And I mean everybody. You could have a number of adults, you might have children, you might have babies, you might have elderly relatives, and they're all sleeping on a bit of a wooden bit. Imagine a bit of a wooden bit back here where you go to sleep, and they're all laid on the floor. They may have a mat to lie on or something like that. But also, in the same room, are a load of animals. Now, these may be chickens, they may be a goat, you may have a sheep, you may have dogs, you may have cats, you've probably got mice, they're not there by invitation. Um, And that's the kind of scenario that people would sleep in. So you imagine getting that lot down to bed and down to sleep. At 8 o'clock at night, four hours later on, it's midnight. Somebody comes bashing on the door. How do you react if you're the person in the house? Well, I don't know about you, but I would not be best pleased. And if ever you've been to a country where animals are kept outside as well at night, once one dog starts barking, the rest of the neighborhood dogs think, oh, it's a chance to join in and show our barking off as well. And so the whole neighborhood is woken up. And so the banging on the door starts. Someone shouting outside, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Everything is going pear-shaped. And the friend comes with news of somebody arriving late and needing food. Why are they arriving this late? Well, this was actually quite normal in Jesus' day. Because if you wanted to travel, you didn't travel in the heat of the day. It was far too hot. So you would travel as it went dark. And by midnight, you'd have probably traveled, I don't know, 12 miles since it went dark, something like that. It's not a significant journey particularly. And you would arrive at that sort of time. But you only made food for that day. There was no way of keeping food. So in a village... There may be a communal bakery, there may be people with individual homes that they were baking bread in, but everybody knew everybody else's business. And so you would know who'd made bread the last. And so this person comes around, knocks on the door and says, you've got some spare loaves, can I have them to feed my friend? It's all quite funny. I could imagine Jesus telling this this story and everybody is with him, thinking, well, this is just quite funny, it's quite humorous. The response of the person in the house is not encouraging. Verse 7. Don't bother me. Don't bother me. I'm in bed. Everyone's in bed. Jesus' point of the story. Friendship wears a bit thin in these situations. Neighborliness goes out of the window. But sheer audacity will get you the answer you want. Sheer audacity will save the day. And so you get the quote. So I say to you, Jesus goes on, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and the door will be open to you. So how do we understand this parable? What does it mean for us today? Who do the characters in the parable represent? Well, over the centuries, there have been many, many different interpretations. Some of the early church fathers believed that this was about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't quite know how they got there. Um, But actually, there is quite a simple explanation, which I think fits quite well. The person who is hammering on the door is the person of prayer. They are the person who is interceding on behalf of the friend. They are knocking on the door of heaven. They are the one pleading for a good thing, for bread, for their friend on the journey. But then there's a twist. David Wenham, who's written a really good book on parables, suggests that we might then be tempted to say, well, the man in the house is God. But the man in the house is not like God because he's grumpy and doesn't want to get up and doesn't want to answer the door. God is not like that. 
When we pray, we do not get to the feet of a grumpy God who doesn't want to give us good things. And Jesus says, in fact, the opposite. Jesus wants to give us good things. We, we pray to a God who desires the best for us. And so the implication here is that when we knock on the door of heaven, when we are praying to God, rather than seeing a grumpy God at the other end, that we have a gracious, heavenly Father. If a friend will respond to the audacity of another friend, just think how much more God will respond when we pray according to his will. So what does this mean then in terms of our prayer life? How are we then to pray based on Jesus' parable of persistent prayer? But just a couple of warning points before we say actually what it does mean. There are a few things it doesn't mean. And one is that by sheer audacity, we can't manipulate God. This is not about praying what we think should happen and sort of banging on heaven's door and saying, the more I pray, the more likely God is to see my will be done. That's not what this is about. This is about seeking God's will. Phil Jump, who I know many of you will know, is one of our regional ministers. He wrote an excellent, a really excellent article about prayer a couple of years ago. And he said, you know, we must never view prayer as trying to twist God's arm to do our agenda. There are people who try and manipulate the supernatural, but they're certainly not people who pray. That's not what prayer is about. What we see prayer as is aligning ourselves to what God wants and praying into it and seeking to partner with the will of our Heavenly Father. So what does it mean then about our prayer? I don't know about you, but sometimes we give up in prayer and we give up far too easily. We sort of tap on the door of heaven gently and we perhaps say a one-liner. And then we don't even wait long enough to see what God is going to do. We don't wait for an answer. We don't wait to know what God's will is. We just go and do something else. And whatever situation it is that we're then praying for is left unresolved. They're not audacious prayers. They're sort of timid prayers. And they're short prayers. And they're short-lived prayers. You know, sometimes our prayers have no urgency to them. Sometimes we can just pray and then that's it. You know, Brian, in in leading us in prayer this morning, has reminded us again of the world that we live in and the desperate needs that our world has. Desperate needs to hear the good news of Jesus. There was a report came out from the Evangelical Alliance this week just saying how much smaller churches are now. They're coming out of the pandemic, right the length and breadth of the country. I don't know if you saw the news this week about a mental health crisis facing our teenagers in this country. It sort of got rather squashed because of all the news about Boris and those kind of things. But the figures were absolutely alarming. You know, we have a mental health crisis on our hands. Energy bills for 22 million people are set to soar over the next few months. That will tip many households into poverty. And those are some of the big national picture needs. Are we praying that some of these things that we see are not right, that God will intervene or will give us the ideas and the strength to do what we can in his name? Are our prayers consistent, persistent, continuing, fervent, and spirit-led? See, to pray like Jesus illustrates here is people standing in the gap. It's called intercession, praying on behalf of others. We do it on our own, absolutely. But as a church... We are called to pray, and to pray, and to pray, and to keep praying. Persistently praying. When we pray, we ask, we seek, and we knock. I don't know if you've ever rung somebody 
And before you've rung them, you've thought, I hope this goes to answer phone. <laughs> I used to have to ring quite a lot of people in my um, old job when I was a piano teacher. And normally it was around exam time when um, people had done piano exams. And in those days when I was teaching, they used to come through the door, the results. Now, most of the time, ringing people was, was great because they'd done well and you were saying, oh, you've done really well. This is your result. Congratulations. Just on the odd occasion, and I know there's a number of music teachers in the, the room, so you're fully relating to this. You get somebody whose exam hadn't gone that well. And you know, they'd probably scraped a pass, but they hadn't done as well as you'd hoped. And so I'd be there ringing them thinking, I do hope this is an answer phone. I do hope I don't have to pass on bad news and can just leave a message and then I can speak to them in person at a later stage. And you're there thinking, please, be that answer phone. You know, I wonder sometimes whether we treat God a bit like that. Whether our prayers, we, we sort of feel like we're leaving an answer phone message for God to pick up later, but we're not prepared to do the legwork. We're not prepared to wrestle in prayer, to be persistent in prayer. We don't pray long enough. We don't pray deep enough. We don't seek what God is doing. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. Be like the friend at midnight. As we saw last week, be filled with the Spirit as we pray. Keep bringing situations that we know aren't right to our Heavenly Father who seeks to bless us with good things. Let's move to our second reading, the Mount of Olives. We're going to look briefly at the two contrasting um, characters in, in this reading. First of all, there is Jesus, and then there are the disciples. That is the Mount of Olives as it is today, just in case you're wondering. Now, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus is in absolute agony. He knows what is coming. He knows that his Father's plan for him is crucifixion. He knows that not only is he going to suffer the agony of, of the physicality of death on a cross, but that he's going to be carrying the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders. That is God's plan. That is God's plan for salvation, to take my sin, to take your sin onto himself. In the midst of deepest anguish, the deepest pain imaginable, Jesus goes to pray. And he engages in some persistent prayer with his heavenly father. But in verse 40 of that passage, he gives his disciples an instruction. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. What an odd prayer that Jesus says there. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. You know, Jesus has gone on ahead. They're behind on the Mount of Olives. Why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say that? We'll come back to that in a moment. But Jesus then prays this most heart-wrenching prayer. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Just pause for a moment. This is what Jesus did for us. It's what Jesus did for each of us. He was obedient to his Father's will. He is here. He is literally sweating blood. He is so earnestly praying. But he will still submit to his Father. But if it's possible, Heavenly Father, do it another way. Now we know the rest of this account. We know what comes next. Jesus does go to crucifixion. There is no other way. The situation is not ultimately removed. The planned salvation of the world will carry on as the Father had intended. God doesn't change the ultimate plan. But Jesus submits. 
But very interesting, in persistent prayer, something happens. I don't know if you spotted it in verse 43. There is an angelic visitation. At the point of deepest sorrow, as Jesus is being obedient to what his Father wants him to do, there is a visitor from heaven to strengthen and to comfort and walk alongside the Son of God in his agony. You know, prayer never means that we get to dictate God's will. And not every situation that we face in our life will fundamentally change. You know, we are fallen human beings, we are broken human beings, we face illness, we will all face death unless Jesus comes again. That's what it means to be human. But let's never give up in prayer. Let's never think, because a situation is difficult, that God can't and won't do something in that situation. Here, in the most broken of situations, the Son of God is visited by an angel. There is a second group in this account. This is the disciples. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Twice Jesus says it. Once he says it, then they fall asleep, and then he says it again after they've fallen asleep and woken up. Why are they going to fall into temptation at this point? What is the temptation? We know temptation in life is whenever we look to put anything in front of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything. That could be our sense of self. It could be our egos. It can be power. It can be sex. It can be money. Whatever it is. Temptation is to put self before Jesus. What doesn't Peter, the disciple, do? Well, he doesn't pray. What do we see him doing later in this chapter in Luke's gospel? He gives into temptation and he denies Jesus. He denies the one who he said he will love. A couple of weeks ago, Ian reminded us that when we don't pray, there is no power. Power to do what? I remember him saying this power to overcome sin, power to overcome temptation. Peter didn't pray, he fell asleep, and as a result, what happens when temptation comes? There's no power. He has not sought his heavenly father there. He's not been there persistently in prayer. Jesus has prayed and God has met him. The disciples don't pray and then when they're put under pressure, things go horribly, horribly wrong. Are we people of prayer? Are we people who seek the face of God? Are we people longing to see what God would do in our own lives, in our own situation, in the lives of our church? After half term, we are going to be having a week of prayer and we will send out the information about that but let's be a church who when we have those opportunities to pray that we take them to be persistent in prayer yes absolutely let's do that on our own and by the way how is that going if you stood a couple of weeks ago do come and tell me some stories if you've been praying let me know how things are going we'd love to share some of those on a Sunday morning but let's be a church that is committed to persistent prayer Are we praying? Will we keep praying? But I want to leave you with a bit of a different challenge, really. Just as I was preparing this, you know, I'm thinking in my own life and thinking in in the lives of many of us. I wonder how many situations are in our lives that actually, if we're honest, we've given up praying about. We've just given up. We've prayed our one-liners. We've sat on our knee or knelt down on our knees for half an hour and we thought, God hasn't answered. God hasn't shown up. So I've given up. And we've got to, if you like, a prayer stalemate. We've done our little tap on the door and nothing has happened. Are we going to be those people who leave it there, just with a little tap, and then we wonder why we're not experiencing something of God in that situation? Or are we going to be those people who say, actually, there is something that isn't right here that needs God's touch. It's either me that needs to change or the situation needs to change. 
But whatever it is, I want to bang on heaven's door. I want to be persistent in prayer. I wonder if there are those situations in your life at the moment where you've just given up. You've just given up. You're not being persistent. You're not seeing what God's will is. Are there those situations? If that's you this morning, perhaps just give time this morning to think, Lord, I want to recommit to praying. It may be that there's a family member who you're longing to become a Christian, and you have prayed for them. Yeah, let's be honest, you prayed for them. But you've stopped. Or it might be there's a personal situation that you're just really struggling with, and you have prayed, but you've stopped. Whatever it is, would you commit again to being a person of persistent prayer? I'm just going to leave a bit of quiet, and I will pray for us, and it may be you just want to respond to God in the quietness of your own heart this morning. It may be that you want to commit to to praying once again to a situation that perhaps you've given up on, you've given up calling on the name of the Lord for. And then Phil and the music team will lead us in a time of response. Just a few moments of quiet. Lord, we're sorry when our prayer life is sometimes insipid and timid. We're sorry when we haven't taken your word seriously to be persistent prayers. Lord, you call us to ask and to seek and to knock and to keep praying your kingdom come, your will be done. Not our will, but your will. Lord, as we saw last week, you call us to be empowered by the Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be pressing into what your will is for our lives, for our church, for our neighborhoods, for our nations. Perhaps it is this morning you've thought of a situation in your own life that you know isn't right, you know isn't as God intended it to be, and yet actually you've given up. You've just given up praying. Lord, I want to pray by your spirit for those situations that we've each named. That again, you would give us your spirit so that we become people of persistent prayer. People who seek the transformation of the spirit in our own hearts. People who are open to what you would do. People who are just open to the will of God. Perhaps just as we stay in this attitude of prayer, perhaps just let's pray out the Lord's Prayer together. Pray in whatever version is is the one you're most familiar with, in whatever is your, your home tongue as well. If you want to pray in it in different language, that's fine as well. But let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven.
your kingdom come, your will be done.